0: As we open God's word together, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we open your word together, we ask that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that we may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of you. Strengthen us with all power according to Christ's glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. And here are our prayers, for we ask them in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in God's Word to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It should be 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 17 through 34. These are Paul's familiar instructions on the Lord's Supper, and I thought it would be good for us uh, to think about this passage in connection with the Belgic Confession this evening. If you're visiting with us this evening, we've been considering a series through the topics of doctrine as they're laid out in the Belgic Confession, but we always want to apply them as we see them explained from God's Word. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning our reading at verse 17, and let's pay careful attention for this is God's own Word. so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Thus far, the reading of God's Word, may He bless it to us. Um, This is really a remarkable passage if we think about it. It's maybe so familiar to us on the Lord's Supper uh, that the difficulty is familiar passages become so familiar, uh, we can't really hear them with new ears. And sometimes we need to come with a fresh approach to passages that are familiar and really listen extra hard to them uh, that we might hear things that maybe we tended to gloss over. Uh, One of the really remarkable things about this passage is Paul explaining to the Corinthian church that some of them have become weak, have become sick, some of them have even died because of the practice of the Lord's Supper, Uh, because how they are abusing this practice that the Lord gave to Paul, that Paul gave to the church. It's really a remarkable statement. Um, It shows us what a serious and reminds us what a serious business is. The Lord's Supper really is, how seriously the Lord regards it. Um, It is an important matter to come to Christ crucified, um, that Christ crucified is true food and drink to life, eternal to those who eat and drink in faith, who do it in a worthy manner. It's this wonderful blessing that elevates our souls to the Lord. But if it's profaned, as was happening in the church in Corinth, their encounter with the crucified and risen Lord was a dangerous one, um, even a destructive and deadly one. And what Paul's reminding us here is the reason the Lord's Supper is a serious matter is because the Lord is present there. It's no small thing to come to the Lord's table because the Lord is there, because the Lord is really becoming present with his people in this sacrament. Um, And so to come before the Lord in an unworthy manner is a really dangerous thing. Um, Because the Lord is still the Lord. Even though He is our our prophet, our priest, our king, our savior, He is still truly God. Um, And the Bible reminds us over and over again that Christ invites us to come to Him, but He invites us to come to Him on His terms. We must approach Him as He's called us to approach Him, with repentance and faith, with reverence and awe, because even though the Lord Jesus Christ is our brother, He still is the living God. Um, David prophesied about what a dangerous thing it is to meet the Lord if you will not submit to Him as the Lord. He talked about that in Psalm 2, verses 9 through 12. What did he prophesy concerning the Lord Jesus Christ? You shall break them with the rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in your way for his wrath is quickly kindled. That's not a God you just saunter into his presence, unthinking and unprepared. Um, it's a serious business. We can think of it being like when Queen Esther is being encouraged by Mordecai to go in and see the king. And she says, you know, it's, it's death if you come to see the king without an invitation and he doesn't extend his scepter to you. Um, there, there's that sense in which it's a dangerous thing to come into the presence of of the living God if you don't belong there, if you don't approach Him the way He's called you to approach Him, just as it is a wonderful and blessed thing when you approach Him the way He's called you to approach Him. Right? I didn't read the the very last part of Psalm 2, did I? Those of you who know it well know that I left out a crucial line from the end of Psalm 2, where David said, blessed are all who take refuge in Him. It's a wonderful blessing to take refuge in God and to have Him receive you as your God. It's a a very dangerous thing to come into the presence of the Lord in a manner that's not worthy of Him. Um, And that's what really we're being reminded of by the Apostle Paul in God's Word about the sacrament and the reality that's happening in the Lord's Supper, that the Lord Jesus Christ is really present with His people. But when He says to us, this is my body and this is my blood, he means it. He's, he's saying the truth, he's speaking the truth to us about what that reality signifies, and we have to understand that properly. We want to think about and make sure we understand how is Christ really present with us in the sacrament? How is he really communicating to us nothing less than his true and natural body and blood? Uh, how do we understand that? How do we understand these things. And the Belgian Confession was particularly concerned with that because that was an open question at the time of the Reformation. There were lots of different ways people were trying to answer that question. And so we want to use 1 Corinthians 11 and the Belgian Confession to help us understand the real presence of Christ. And we want to think together about the source of the controversy. Why is it a hard thing to know what's happening in the supper? So we want to think about the source of the controversy. Uh, then we want to think something about the proposed answers to this controversy that have been offered, um, and then the answer that Scripture offers us about how to think of Christ and His presence in the Supper. Uh, the source of the controversy we can deal with rather quickly. Um, the source of the controversy comes from the words of our Lord, this is my body. Um, that's, it's not because what Jesus said is meant to be controversial, Uh, But all of us need to answer the question, what does God mean when he says, this is my body? Um, As my dad likes to point out, Bill Clinton is not the first one who said, what what is the meaning of is? Depends on what the meaning of is is. Um, We need to ask that of what does Jesus mean? This is my body. That's where these controversies arose. What did Jesus mean when he said that? Um, And during the Protestant Reformation, serious thought was devoted to this question, What did Jesus mean when He said that? Because we need to understand that truth of Scripture for our comfort, um, for our clarity, uh, for our own benefit that when we come to the Lord, we know what we're doing in the Lord's Supper. So it's a profoundly important question to be able to answer. What did Jesus mean when He said, this is my body? Um, And to that, a lot of solutions have been proposed um, so, boys and girls, that's the shortest first point of my sermon you're ever going to hear. That's the end of the source of the controversy. Uh, we're already on to the proposed answers. How do people try to understand that, that, that statement that the Lord Jesus made? Uh, this is my body. Uh, well, Rome tried to answer it one way. They said when Jesus says, this is my body, what he really means is, this becomes my body and blood. That the bread and the wine actually are transformed into the body and blood of Christ. They really become his body. And and when the the minister would say that, they believed that the elements were actually transformed into the body and blood of Christ. Um, the, The Latin mass, as it would pronounce the body, changed. The words, this is my body, in Latin, sound like hoc est corpus meum. This is my body. Um, Now, most people didn't understand Latin, and they just knew that something happened when the priest said that, and so est corpus meum became hocus pocus. That's how the transformation is happening, because when he says that, I don't know what it means, but when he says that, a magic happens. This thing that was before bread and wine becomes the body of blood in Christ, and when it's lifted up, it's regarded as his body. And we kneel and we worship Him in the bread, in the cup. Because He's there, that's what they said. He's there. He's, they've changed into His body and blood. The substance remains. Um, the substance is what has changed, becomes the body and blood of Christ. But they would say the accidents or the circumstances surrounding the bread and wine don't change. Now, if it sounds complicated, it kind of is. Uh, what they would say is while the bread and wine still look like bread and wine... Taste like bread and wine, appear to be bread and wine, they've been transformed from the substance of bread and wine into the true body and blood of Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus said, this is my body, they would say what he meant was, this becomes my body and blood, that he's physically there. Now, there are a number of problems with that from, from Scripture. Um, What did Jesus mean when he first said that, when he was standing there with the bread in his hand? Um, Did that mean that was his body then? That becomes sort of a difficult thing. And why does the Scripture continue to speak of the bread as bread, even in the sacrament? Um, The Scripture doesn't regard it as changed in its substance. It still talks about it as bread. Bread. Um, That's what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 17. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Right, And so it's still regarding it as bread. It hasn't changed in the substance, um, as they allege, according to the Apostle Paul. That's how he speaks of it in our passage as well. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Uh, Paul says you're eating bread, you're drinking of the cup. Um, they've not changed in their substance, um, and that sort of defies how God has made this world as well. To try to separate thing from its substance and its accidents or its circumstances, what it looks like from what it really is, is something we don't find in creation. Um, you can't say I look like a person, but I'm really a tree. Um, we even have a, a simple way of saying that, right? If it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck. Um, that's not the way the Lord has ordered this world. So this system won't, won't work. You can't change the substance of something and leave its attributes or its accidents unchanged. Uh, it defies how God has made this world um, and how God works. The, the, but the fundamental problem of all of this is it puts all the emphasis on what the priest does. All the emphasis is placed on what the, what the priest and what the church is doing, because the church is indispensable for turning that bread and wine into body and blood of Christ. The priest has to perform that miracle. The priest has to sacrifice it. And in the old way of doing things, when the priest would do it, he would turn his back on the congregation. Right? Instead of going to the altar and, and facing the congregation, the old way of doing it was turning your back on the congregation and just facing the altar and doing it because it didn't really matter between the congregation. It was something the priest was doing, sacrificing the Lord Jesus Christ again as a non-bloody memorial sacrifice of Jesus. So this won't work to make the Lord physically present in the bread and wine. And so the Lutherans had another answer. Well, they said the, the bread and wine don't become the body and blood of Christ, but when Jesus says, this is my body, what he meant was he is locally present when it's celebrated. So it's a way of saying, this accompanies my body. Uh, the bread and the wine accompany my body. Um, I'm locally present. Uh, one commentator said, while the bread and wine remain what they are, the whole person of Christ, body and blood, is present in, under, and along with the elements. So you see the difference there. There's no change in substance. They remain what they are, but along with the substance of bread and wine comes the Lord accompanying it. So they don't change into Him, but He's there with them. And He's there with them in a a truly influential way, right? He's present in them and under them and along with them. He's as near them as He can be, accompanying them when we celebrate these things. Um, And they would say, because that's what Jesus did after all when he held up that bread, he was there with it. Um, And so the bread is, he is with him. Um, So everyone receives the bread, receives the body, because Jesus is there. And everyone who drinks the cup receives his blood, because Jesus is there, in, with, and under the elements. Of course, to make Jesus locally present with the bread and wine um, is to face a problem. Because where is Jesus now? Boys and girls, you can think about this question. You don't need to answer, but you can think about it. Where is Jesus right now? Because as a man, He is somewhere. Right? Where is Jesus right now? He is seated at the right hand of His Father in heaven. And why is that important for us, for our comfort? Because it reminds us that heaven is a place for people. Heaven is a place for human beings. And we're reminded by, whenever we think about the fact that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, we're being reminded that there is one human being in heaven now who promises that all of his church will be there, body and soul, someday. It reminds us that church, that heaven is a place for human beings, body and soul to dwell with their God, and it's an encouragement, should be an encouragement for us to know there is one person there now, and one day all of God's people will be gathered there, and we will all be there, body and soul, worshiping together, celebrating together, worshiping the Lord in eternity together. Heaven is a place for people, and there's one person there now, and if Jesus is there physically in his body and blood, then he can't be here locally present. The only way you can make that happen is if you say Jesus can be everywhere in his humanity. Um, And that's how the Lutherans solve that puzzle. They say, well, his humanity can be everywhere present. And so he's present at the right hand of the Father and he's present in the bread and wine. Um, The problem with that is the Bible doesn't teach the ubiquity of Christ's human nature, that it can be everywhere present. Uh, That's a difficulty. So you would say, well, that's, that's kind of a hard teaching to unravel. And it's always the case when you speak with our Lutheran friends that they'll say, it is a hard thing to unravel, but you just have to embrace the mystery. Um, it, it is sort of mysterious, but you just sort of have to embrace the mystery. Um, and if you want to be really frustrated in talking to them, they'll say things like, the sacramental union between the bread and wine and the body and blood takes place only in the Lord's Supper. And it is neither local nor natural, but illocal, supernatural, incomprehensible, yet real. So if you can understand that, come see me afterward because um, it's a mystery to me. And they would say that's fine. It it is just a paradox that we have to embrace by faith and just believe. Uh, But for them, the eating and drinking of Christ's body and blood is always supernatural and incomprehensible. That's how we come. Uh, so the whole Christ is received spiritually by the mouth of faith. It ends up sounding very close in some ways to the Reformed doctrine, um, but is very problematic when we think about the body and blood of Jesus Christ as being ill-local, not residing locally somewhere, uh, because that's a regular part of our humanity that we're someplace. Um, Jesus is in heaven, not everywhere present in his humanity. Um, And so that's a problematic answer as well to try to make the Lord Jesus locally present in the supper. Um, Now those are two kind of historical views that maybe we're a little bit aware of but don't maybe operate much in our world. Uh, Maybe you've never talked to someone about is the Lord illocally in the Lord's Supper? Um, So at the risk of making this just too much of a theological tangent um, we can come to one of the third answers that I think most accurately captures what most evangelicals think Um, is happening in the Lord's Supper. And that would be more of the Zwinglian point of view. Uh, Zwingli was one of the Swiss reformers. And he said, when Jesus says, this is my body, what he really means us to think is, this remembers my body. Not this becomes my body, not this accompanies my body, but this remembers my body. Uh, For them, it was a memorial. Uh, They denied that The bodily presence of Christ in the supper, um, but they believe that the true communicant, the person who came to the Lord's table, conceived of him as being present in a spiritual manner. But the stress was all on the memorial. We are really remembering what Jesus did, and we are professing our faith when we come to the table in what the Lord did. So it, it comes down to a memorial and a profession of our faith in what Jesus has done. In the past, um, now it's hard to do justice to Zwingli, especially in two minutes, um, because he does seem to think that there is some spiritual thing happening in the supper. But it, so it might be wrong to say that he believed it was a mere memorial. But definitely, the emphasis in his thought comes back again and again to: we are just remembering Jesus, and we're coming to the table making our profession of faith. I think that's what most people think when they come to the Lord's supper in our day. That we are remembering what Jesus did on the cross, and we come to profess our faith in what Jesus has done. We are making that statement before the world that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and in His sacrifice. Um, That puts emphasis on the believer's activity. And so you have Rome putting emphasis on the church's activity. Um, Lutherans put the focus on the body and blood of Christ, but they have to bring Christ down in a strange manner. Um, And Zwinglians tend to put the emphasis on the believer. So, those are all the ways that these questions were being answered at the time of the Protestant Reformation. And when the the Bible was being looked at again, they said, Now, how do we really answer that from Scripture? Because none of those seem to accurately capture what the Lord Jesus meant when he said, This is my body. Um, And so, we look on the basis of God's word and we think about what Christ meant when he said, This is my body. And he meant to say that he is truly present with his people, but that he is spiritually present with his people. He's really there when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Um, But he's not merely remembered. Um, He doesn't become there physically. Um, God comes and feeds his people in the sacrament by being really present with us by his Spirit. So the focus is not on what the believer is doing, not what the church is doing, but what Christ is doing by His Spirit, bringing His people to His body and blood where He is. So that we can really truly say that when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are partaking of the true body and true blood of Christ. Um, And that's that's what we confess in the Belgic Confession. I think this is the best way to reconcile all of the Bible's teaching on the Lord's Supper. Uh, This is what we mean. We say, yet we do not go wrong when we say that what is eaten in Christ is Christ's own natural body, and what is drunk is his own blood, but the manner in which we eat it is not by the mouth. So that's speaking directly to Rome and to Lutherans. We don't eat the body and blood of Christ with the mouth, but by the Spirit through faith but by the Spirit through faith. In that way, Jesus Christ always remains seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. So this is where He is physically and locally present. And we need Him there interceding for us. Sorry, I didn't mean to boom that out at you the way I did. But we need Him to be there, right? To intercede for us always. We need Him there. And that's the glory of what we confess. He's always there interceding for the people of God. He never leaves the right hand of the Father for the purpose of being a high priest for us. He's always there. That's where He is. And yet at the same time, what do we go on to confess? But He never refrains on that account to communicate Himself to us through faith. Even though He is always there at the right hand of His Father interceding for us, the other truth we confess is that by His Spirit, He never stops communicating Himself to us by Spirit through faith. That's, how the, that's one of the glories of what we believe about our Lord Jesus Christ, that He can always be at the right hand of His Father in heaven, ever living to intercede with us, and at the same time never stop being with us to the very end of the age as He promised. Because He is with us by His Spirit. By faith we are participating in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is really present with us. What is the hope of glory that Scripture lays out? Christ in you is the hope of glory. Right, Not just that I'm in Jesus, which is a wonderful truth of the Scriptures, but also that Jesus is in me. Jesus is in you if you believe in Him by faith. That's how He communicates Himself to us, by the Spirit through faith. That's what the table is reminding us of, of that close and intimate fellowship we have with the Lord Jesus Christ, that communion we have with Him and that we have with one another through Him that is always present, an always present reality for His people. That's what's being signified and sealed to us in this supper. That's what makes this banquet a spiritual table at which Christ communicates himself to us with all his benefits. At that table, he makes us enjoy himself as much as the merits of his suffering and death as he nourishes, strengthens, and comforts our poor, desolate souls by the eating of his flesh and rece- and relieves and renews them by the drinking of his blood. It's a profound reminder of that close communion that we have with Jesus Christ, and he is really communicating himself to us in the body and blood, just as he communicates himself in all of his merits and all of his benefits and all of his blessings and all of his treasures by communing with us by his spirit. He wants us to understand that he is really present with us that we are really coming to meet Him at the table. Um, It's a profound, profoundly important thing that's happening. It is difficult to understand. There is a mystical, mysterious element in what happens. There is something truly awesome that happens at the Lord's table that is beyond our ability to all, all the way trace out. But again, God is coming to us and saying, just as surely as you are coming to this table, Jesus is bringing you to himself and communicating to you his true body and his true blood, which are true food that will nourish your souls and everlasting life. It's it's awesome that Christ is really there. And that's why it was so important for the Corinthians to understand that he's really there. Because if he's really there, you, mean, you need to make sure you approach him in the right way. Because as we learn from 1 Corinthians 11 and as we confess in Article 35, though the sacraments and the things signified are joined together, not all receive both of them. The wicked person certainly takes the sacrament to his condemnation, but does not receive the truth of the sacrament, just as Judas and Simon the sorcerer both indeed received the sacrament but not Christ who is signified by it. He is communicated only to believers. That's Paul's point, isn't it? To begin by saying to them, I don't know what you're doing, you call it the Lord's Supper, but it's not the Lord's Supper you're doing. Um, And he reminds them again what the Lord's Supper truly is and how they are to approach it. Um, Because to come to the Lord's Supper in an unbelieving and unworthy manner Um, is to meet the Lord not as a savior, not as a mediator or interceder, but as a righteous judge, and you have no mediator. Right? That's a serious thing to come into the presence of the Lord that way. Um, John Calvin helpfully summarizes, I think, what's being taught here when he says, uh, the Lord's Supper is spiritual food, grateful and delicious as well as beneficial to the sincere worshipers of God who in the participation of it experience Christ to be their life, whom it stimulates to thanksgiving, whom it exhorts to mutual charity among themselves. When true believers come to the table, they experience Christ who is their life. All of His benefits come to them. It fuels them to love their neighbors and to love God. It's, it's true food and drink. It makes us thankful. It makes us loving Um, Because Christ makes us these things by communicating himself and all of his benefits to us. Um, But if you come without faith, Calvin said, It is like a most noxious poison. Found noxious rather than nutritious, this spiritual food, when it meets with a soul polluted by iniquity, only precipitates it into a more dreadful ruin. Not indeed from any fault in the food, but because to, unto them that are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. And there Calvin is quoting Titus 1.15. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. And that really is a helpful exposition, isn't it, of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine and 30. Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. They were defiled and unbelieving, right? Not weak in faith, we always have to make that clear, but unbelieving, and that's why it was poison for them. In a very simple way, what Calvin is saying is it's like someone who eats a peanut with a peanut allergy, right? There's nothing wrong with the peanut. Um, it's good, nutritious food if you're not allergic to it. But if you're allergic to it, it can be poison. Um, it can even kill you. Or we can think of it like the word preached. Right? Every time we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ preached, there are people who hear it and receive it and believe it. Right? And to them that believe, it draws them closer to Jesus Christ every time they hear it. We're brought nearer and nearer to the Lord, but there are those who hear the gospel preached and don't believe it. And what is that word doing? It's driving them further and further towards their own condemnation because they will not receive the word of God. Every proclamation of the gospel by the minister either leads souls towards life immortal or sends them downward toward a deeper hell. It softens hearts or hardens them. Is it not then an awful thing to preach? Who shall attempt to do it until his heart is bathed in the atmosphere and the blood of Calvary? Uh, That was one of the readings we had in seminary that has stuck with me. Who will dare to do it if his heart is not bathed in the blood and atmosphere of Calvary? It's a serious business to come to the Lord in the preaching of his word, uh, in the sacrament if we don't come with faith because he's really there. And to the believing, he's really there to life eternal. And to the unbelieving, he's really there as really as he will be there in the final judgment. Um, and so it is an awesome thing to come. It's a reminder to us in a profound way in the Lord's Supper that there are only two ways to encounter the Lord. With faith and with Christ, And without faith and without Christ. And if we are without faith and without Christ, there is no communion with God. There is only a fearful expectation of judgment. But by grace through faith in Christ alone, then we have true communion with the crucified and risen Lord. There is nothing to fear. No fire of fury, but only an overflowing fountain of good. A river of life that will satisfy our thirsty souls forever. The Lord's Supper is reminding us of that profound reality. And reminding the faithful when we come, we'll close with this, reminding the faithful that we come and really are present with the Lord at His table, it's just going to be like that when we are in glory. Just as when we're believing and repentant and we come to the table without fear, that's how we will meet the Lord when He comes again. We'll be used to communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. It'll just be a fuller communion, a more glorious communion with the true body and the true blood of Christ. And so when we sometimes can be led to worry about what will heaven be like or what will that encounter with the Lord be like on that final day of judgment, just think we come and we encounter Him at the Lord's table. He's really present there. And when we come to Him as He's called us to come, with faith, with repentance, what do we find? That He is food and drink to life eternal. That He is the bread of which we eat and will never be hungry again. Uh, the wine that we drink that is true life, of overflowing life to His people. That's the Lord we meet in this supper. Thanks be to God that he is present there with us for our good. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pray that you would help us by your spirit to believe and receive the simple message of the word and the sacraments, that if we believe in Jesus Christ crucified for our sins and raised for our justification, we will be saved. We thank you that he has come to be among us and to nourish us and our souls unto everlasting life. We thank you that we have communion with him by the Spirit, that he is present with us when we hear the word preached, that he is present with us when we come to the table. How thankful we are to commune with the risen Lord, Um, and may we cling to him always. Hear us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.